Good morning. Good to see you. It's good to be seen too, I hope. Yeah. Well, I want to pray over our soon-to-be offering. And a lot of different ways to worship, as Jamie said. And a lot of people think about how, how, how that looks for them. And singing corporately is, is certainly an important part of that. As a matter of fact, there are uh, a, quite a few number of psalms about in the middle of your Bible. And those are all songs. They're worship songs. So singing corporately is very important. Um, giving back to God is also a way that uh, we worship him. Because what we're saying is we're, we're taking typically what tends to be maybe challenges God for supremacy in our lives. And we give it back to him. And we give it back to him in a way that sacrifices uh, or, or, or causes us to sacrifice because it's a reflection of what he's done for us. So let me pray and ask for God's blessing on that. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to give. And we thank you, Lord God, because of all that you've given us. I pray that we would do that in a way and giving back to you and worshiping you in a way that would reflect our understanding of that. Father, for those who are here that do not know you and do not understand that sacrifice, may they in no way feel at all compelled to give anything. May they receive today from you your incredible love for them and your work in their hearts, Lord God. And Father, we pray that this offering would please you and you would use it for your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Well, uh, we are in our last Sunday of the first month of going to three services, and I hope you noticed the little special touch out there. We have the donuts and maple bars and everything that we had way back in the day. And uh, eat up this Sunday because you will not see them next week, okay? Uh, for, for a lot of good reasons. Um, also, we have uh, our, from last week, we have our uh, stickers, our, our swag, high point swag, so that you can put it on your, uh, your water bottle, you can put it on your computer, whatever, but there's still some out on the bistro table, so if you want to, to go out there um, and grab one while they're left, okay? And before I jump into our message, I want to make sure that we uh, recognize a, a, a wonderful crew that about a month ago when we were gathering all of the Christmas goodies uh, so that we could send them out and take them out to people that would have had a really rough Christmas otherwise. I want, I want to recognize um, Tracy Oman and Wendy Barkus. They kind of were the lead elves in all this, right? And they, yeah, they're amazing. That's Wendy and Glenn, yes. Fantastic, um, and that's Tracy. Apparently Todd was a little camera shy, <laughs> though I would never believe that. Um, and they, uh, here's what they did. They, we, they contacted Bethel and Pilop schools. They contacted the families. They monitored the tags on the, uh, the trees out in the lobby. They organized the receiving of gifts and then the distribution of them and any challenges along the way. And, and you, as you might imagine, that is um, a real possibility, okay? And so we're just thankful for those um, that were on that, that end of it. And then also, I wanna thank those of you that delivered. Uh, as a matter of fact, if, if you're here and you were a part of that process, could you stand up just so we can Thank you and recognize you, I know. Just come on, don't be bashful. Stand up. Yes, thank you, Paul. Stand up, stand up. There we go. Very good. Well, we thank you. We, we realize this, this, the ministry of High Point means nothing apart from those of you that volunteer and serve and just get into the mess. And it is, ministry is messy. So thank you for getting messy, all right, and representing Christ well. What I'd like to do, and I... I Probably should have done this earlier. And uh, I've been doing it personally, but I haven't really been doing it corporately. 
and I, I apologize for that, is that most of the time when we open up God's word, I believe I, I do my very best to teach it as, as this is God's word. It doesn't contain truth, it is truth. And I try to do it to the best of my ability. But at times, I don't know that I really start the way I wanted to start. When I started my own personal study, I recognize when I open this up, I'm like literally thinking, God, this is you speaking. I need to be attentive. I need to be not distracted. I need to really value and savor the fact that you have preserved and protected your word so that you could speak to me and speak to you. And so I wanna pray with that in mind. Okay, as we open up God's word, and I want you, as you open up God's word, and, and I know many of you have your, your, your electronic versions, I am still old school. To me, I just like the pages, to be honest with you. I still use my Bible apps, but I really like the pages, and I, and I, I just, in my mind, when I'm opening up the Bible, it's as if God has just opened his mouth to me, and I'm just, I'm just waiting. What do you have to say? And sometimes I love what he says, and sometimes I don't like what he says. But what he says is true, and makes my life work better. So let me pray to that end. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for preserving and protecting it and getting it to each and every one of us. And I pray now as we open it that we really will sense that your mouth is opening and you are speaking into our hearts and into our minds, into our lives, into those places that maybe nobody else can see but you can. And we pray, Lord God, that that truth that we study this morning will unlock anything that's holding us back from being everything you wanted us to be. And I pray you would speak through me as I have nothing to say, but you have everything to say. Loud and clear, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, um, I wanna share with you a headline that uh, I was kind of going along on the, on, the, uh, on the web, just looking at articles that kind of had popped up on my, some of my news apps, and this, this headline popped up, and it says, neuroscience confirms that to be truly happy, you will always need something more. And I read the article, and in the article, neuroscience has shown that the act of seeking is really more important to us for our happiness and satisfaction than actually realizing that which we're seeking. Now get ready for this. I believe that to be true. I believe that is biblical. And I hope that when we finish reading this morning, this section in 1 Thessalonians, that you will see that yes, we have been hardwired to be seeking more. Now, I know you're thinking, what in the world? Where's he gone? Is it the cough medicine? What is going on here? But hear me out, please. Now, when I say more, more of what? Well, we could go to the traditional mores that, that, that kind of generalize um, the, the pursuit of, um, of money. But I imagine you know many rich people who are miserable. Or uh, if it's not money, it, it's, uh, maybe it's power, it's fame. But, but we can think of a lot of famous people uh, who really don't seem to be very happy. And as a matter of fact, this, this phrase that I, I vaguely remember, and as I, as I was uh, thinking about it more, the phrase that says, or the quote, power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. I don't think that was just made up. I think that comes out of the fact that power isn't all that we think it is or fame isn't all that we think it is. Of course, there's sex and believe it or not, hit the pause button on that because we're gonna come back to that, okay? And then there's possessions, right? It's, it's, it's accumulation. So much so that we actually now, we pay and I've never, I can't imagine it really is a, a, an enjoyable experience when you're paying that monthly storage bill for a, a rental unit that you, because you don't have enough room in your house, you gotta stick the stuff in there. 
And so I think the traditional ways of seeking more are not at all what I'm speaking about. And I don't think they, in, in practice, really lead to happiness and satisfaction. So then more of what? Well, I'm so glad you asked because we're going to, let's turn in our Bibles to our table of contents. And let's take a look at more of what? That we actually have science on our side, if I can say it that way for a moment. So you got your Old Testament table of contents, your New Testament table of contents. We've been in the book of First Thessalonians. So whatever page that corresponds to in your Bible, you'll be at chapter one. Let's get to chapter number four. Don't forget we have on our, uh, the Bible app, there, you can go to and find High Point Church under events and all the notes that are going to be up on this board, you can have them right there in your hands along with the scripture passages that we'll be reading. But what I want you to do is I'm going to read this 12, these 12 verses in chapter 4 and I want you to listen for the more. Because again, I, I believe that's a biblical statement is that we, um, we are hardwired to be seeking for more. The question is more of what? Well, Paul's going to give us an answer to that and I want you to listen for the more that I'm speaking of. Chapter 4, verse number 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us how you must walk and please God as you are doing, do so even more. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality so that each of you knows how to control his own body in sanctification and honor, not with lustful desires like the Gentiles who don't know God, the Gentiles being the non-Jews. This means one must not transgress against and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses. As we also previously told and warned you, for God has not called us to impurity, but to sanctification. Therefore, the person who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who also gives you his Holy Spirit. About brotherly love, you don't need me to write you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In fact, you are doing this towards all the brothers in the entire region of Macedonia, but we encourage you brothers to do so even more, to seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business. Paul is, is calling and, and he's elevating that to be a life that is set apart, that is pleasing to God. This is the biblical sex ethic and it runs throughout all the scripture. And that is when you're gonna give whole body commitment, you're given whole body commitment because you've been given whole life commitment. And that protects and I think that makes sense. I think we can understand that. I, I hope you can understand that. Because when you go back, if you look at history, the, the demise of societies and nations you can trace back and you can see one of the characteristics was the absence of the biblical sex ethic. And I don't mean to be a doomsayer, but our, our country is, is, is moving in that direction. And, it, and it's, it's, it's alarming because societies, like I said, they, they have ceased to exist. When the biblical sex ethic is not followed, you have marriages that crumble. You have children in a home that are wrecked. I, I think, I don't need to say anything more than that. I, I think we can understand and, and can visualize, if not having personally experienced, some of the destruction that comes when marriage has not been the purity protection. Now, I want you to notice in this, keeping with this idea that we're to take a wife for himself, uh, t 
Timothy Keller pointed this out, and, and I, I will quote him often because I just appreciate his insights. But he, he says, and he points out when it says to honor, or, and, and honor not with lustful desires. So he's saying that if you read, if you reread chapter four or verse four, he says, so that each of you knows how to contain his own body. If you read that as, so each of you acquires his own wife and then in sanctification and honor, not with lustful desires like the Gentiles who don't know God. It is fascinating to me that Paul associates with marriage and in, in, in he's, he's elevating, he's raising marriage up. It's interesting how Paul elevates the importance of sex here associating it with whether you know God or not. I think that's significant. Because what, what, Paul, uh, what Paul is saying and what Timothy Keller points out is that marriage is that important. And Paul, when he talks about lustful desire, he's actually alluding to the fact that it is possible for a spouse to lust for their spouse and vice versa. And that is not good and that is not healthy. You see, in the gift of marriage, in the purity protection that marriage ha has, in the, in the nakedness that is free to be expressed both literally and metaphorically, you've given yourself wholly over and they've given themselves wholly over to you. Then in the bedroom, where lust can happen is when you say, I'm just interested in, in satisfying and pleasing myself. I'm not, I don't have any concern or care for anybody, for the other person. Or when you objectify them and they, and they simply are a, a, a way that you can have a need satisfied. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that we can, in, even in the context of marriage, that we can bring in lustful desires that damage and hurt. And Paul, in, in Timothy Keller's perspective, and I, and I can see it, is pointing out, don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. And he raises, he elevates um, sex in marriage. And, and he says, if, if you understand the biblical sex ethic, he says, then you know God. You're not like the Gentiles, he says, who don't know God. So I think that's, I think that's something to consider. But in case we were just wondering, verse 8, he says, therefore, the person who rejects this, what's this? This is the biblical sex ethic. This is the sanctification. This is the setting, setting of sex apart in marriage that pleases God. He says, therefore, the person who rejects this does not reject man but God who also gives you the Holy Spirit. Living out of sexual purity, my friends, is a sign that you truly know God. If that's not even on your radar, if there's no um, godly sorrow, if, if you should step outside of that very protective measure of marriage, uh, and it doesn't bother you a bit, then you really have to ask yourself, do I know the God that I say I do? Because Paul's making an association that I think is worthy of your contemplation. Now, all that being said, how, how do we please God in setting ourselves apart in this way? He, he tacks on right at the very end in verse eight, who gives you his Holy Spirit. The power to walk with God and please God is not something we do out of our own strength and our own might. It comes supernaturally through the Spirit of God that we receive when we put our faith and trust in Jesus' work to satisfy God, not our own. It's what the gospel is. It's what the message of Christ is. Jesus came and said, quit trying to save yourselves. You'll never get there. Quit trying to merit and earn God's forgiveness. You'll never get it. 
It's through me. It's, it's through my perfect life in your place and my substitutionary death in your place. And then God raises Jesus three days later to say, yeah, that's the guy. That's the plan. That's the way, the truth and the life. And when you put your faith and trust in him and let go of your life and live for him, you receive the power of God, the spirit of God, in order to carry out the promises and the commands and the life that God has for you, in which he wants us to please him more and more and more. So, that is one of the ways that Paul addresses the importance and how we can uh, keep seeking more in the way of pleasing God. What's the second? Well, in verse 9, he brings in the second way that we do that. He says, about brotherly love. Because you don't need me to write you because you yourselves are taught by God. He's talking about when you become a follower of Jesus, the Spirit of God comes in inside of you and you begin to have your eyes open to spiritual truth. I, I remember when I first became a Christian, um, I had not really read my Bible at all. I hadn't really gone to church much at all. I mean, I was like a creaster at best, right? I went at Christmas and Easter. That was it. And I hated going then. But all of a sudden, when I became a follower of Jesus, I started to, my eyes started to be open to spiritual truth that I didn't, I, I don't know where it came from. Well, it came from the Spirit of God starting day one, the reclamation project of Kevin Sullivan. I'm gonna grow in you, the person I always wanted you to be. It's what the Spirit of God, that's his job, that's his role. And so Paul is saying, I, you yourselves are taught by God the importance to love one another. He says, in fact, you're doing this towards all the brothers in the entire region of Macedonia. But he says, but we encourage you brothers to do so even more. Now what we need to understand is going on in Thessalonica that, that we'll, we'll read in just a moment. You'll kind of go, why does Paul use those expressions of love? That just seems... Uh, there must be something going on. Well, there is something going on behind the scenes. There are some people in Thessalonica, and you'll hear, we'll hear more about this next week. There are some people in Thessalonica who believe that Jesus' return is imminent. So much so that they've quit working. They've let go of their jobs. And they're freeloading off of people in the church. And they're getting all the people in the church kind of worked up about, hey, he's coming. He's Quit your jobs. I mean, we've seen some current day manifestations of that. Have we not? I mean, I... Sadly so, people giving up everything and even their own lives, believing that the end was coming. And that's, that's kind of what's happening. So with that in the backdrop, let's look at how does Paul specify this, the second aspect of loving my spiritual family. That, that's what it is, to love my spiritual followers of Jesus. That's the thing he wants us to do more and more and more. So he wants us to be sanctified, right? To, be, to please God more and more through sanctification, setting up ourselves apart. Secondly, is he wants, he wants us to love one another with a brotherly love. Not a romantic love. This is between people in the church family, in the community of faith. We are to love in a brotherly kind of way. Well, what does that look like? Verse 11. Well, back up a little bit first. But we encourage you, brothers, to do so even more. To seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. So there's, there's three ways that he breaks that down. And again, it's with this in mind that you've got some people who are stirring up stuff. And, and they're, they're kind of freaking people out. And they're freeloading. And so the first thing he says is quiet life. He goes, I want you to love the people around you through your quiet life. In other words, not calling attention to yourself and not working people up like you're doing. It is not loving of others. How do we apply that here today? You ready for this? 
This might be the most obvious thing I'm gonna say. I am actually, and I feel it in me, I'm low, uh, I'm, I'm saddened. I'm, I'm, I'm not looking forward to it all the next 10 months. Because in November, we're gonna vote. And between now and then, we're gonna have our tribes and we're not, there's not going to be any middle ground and we're going to be lobbing social media bombs into one another's camp. And we're going to have conversations at lunch and at work and at home and across the fence and we're going to work people up. We're, we're going to try to convince people, we may not intentionally be trying to do this, but unintentionally we're going we're to work people up and think that salvation comes through a, a political party and it doesn't. Salvation is in Jesus the, the, the hope that we have and what we need is Jesus. And oh, you might be thinking I'm over-spiritualizing it. I'm not. I've got 66 books right here that would tell you that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And what we need to do is, and I'm, I'm not saying we divorce politics. I know some of you are more politically active than I am. I mean, I, I, I confess to you, I don't, I'm one of the least politically involved people you'll ever meet. I'm just so disillusioned by it. Now, you might fault me for that. Fair enough. But I tell you what I do is I, I seek Jesus because I know that I'll always be right doing that. And I, and I try not to get lost. Now, I realize there are aspects of life that we need to apply Jesus in and, and that works its way sometimes through polygamy. Okay, I get that. And you, you guys do that much better than me. But the point I want to make is I think we need to be really careful to not work people up, to live a quiet life believing that Jesus is the answer so would you please be careful what you post on social media? Before you post it, say, does this, does this incite people? Does this draw attention to myself? Does this take attention away from Jesus is the answer? Just ask yourself those questions. Secondly, he says, mind your own business. I don't think you need to interpret that a whole lot, do you? He's talking about those people that were kind of busy buddies. They wanted to get in everybody's business because they were idle. They weren't working. So like, what else do I have to do? Let me go find out what Joe's doing. And then he goes to, to Bill. Hey, Bill, do you know what Joe's doing? And, and, and so Paul is saying, to really love your brothers is to mind your own business. Now, this doesn't mean that we can't be praying for other people and, and, and really showing concern for them. But he's, I, I think one of the things he's addressing here is gossip. He's saying, mind your own business. You know, uh, I don't remember, was it? Well, I'm not gonna give you an old analogy because I get, I made fun of that I use old analogies, but um, Chris Farley, who lives in a van down by the river, people, wear it with me? And he tells Davis Bate, shut your pie hole, right? I think that's what he says, something like that, might be a quote. But anyways, I think that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, stop talking about other people who are not there in a negative way. Stop it. Mind your own business. You see, gossip, it's easy. And, and, and sometimes there's a, there's a fascination about it because you, you kind of feel a little bit about yourself when you can talk bad about somebody else. We, we, we need to recognize that gossip is when we talk negatively about somebody who's not there to somebody else. Now, there are times when you like really care about somebody, you're concerned with them, and you go to somebody else and say, listen, I'm really caring, care, I have a lot of care, I'm concerned for this person, how do, we, how do we help them? Okay, get that. 
But I think Paul is saying to really show brotherly love is to mind your own business and to not talk about others in a negative way or to not be a part of a conversation in which someone else is talking about them. If you hear somebody else talking, go, hey, you know what? I don't think we should be talking about that. Catch them. Help them. And then lastly, he says, to work with your own hands. And what he's saying here is an expression of love in the, in the community of faith is to do your part to serve your community of faith. To do your part. He's telling them, hey, all those of you that are freeloading, that you, 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 you're, you're so concerned that Jesus is coming back that you've quit your work. He goes, get back to work. Support and love those around you and don't be a burden to them because you have stopped working. Now, Paul's not condemning those who can't work. So Paul wouldn't be, he wouldn't condemn unemployment. He wouldn't condemn disability. If you truly cannot work, then that's not, Paul's not talking to you. If you're, in, in un, if you're unemployed but seeking to be gainfully employed, Paul's not talking to you. Paul's talking to the idle person who can work but won't work. Now, how do we apply that here today? How do we apply that in the church? I was thinking about that. I, I think we could apply it this way. If you can't serve, then don't. But if you can serve but are not, listen to what Paul is saying. Get to serving. Get, get to serving your community of faith. Show brotherly love as others are showing brotherly love to you. Take the burden off of them and bear some of that yourself. I mean, if everybody in this church was engaged in serving one another, my goodness, what is the potential for that? What could that be? But that is what we are to seek to do more and more of. Setting ourselves apart and in particular with sexual purity. Setting ourselves apart in that way, okay? Because that pleases God and we're to be pleasing God more and more. What else pleases Him? When we show brotherly love to one another. That pleases God. And as a byproduct, the very end, notice what Paul says. He says in verse 12, so that you may walk properly in the presence of outsiders. What he's saying is, imagine if we really, if all of us were living our lives, if, if the modus operandi of our lives was to seek to please God more and more and more in the ways that he's just delineated and there are others, he says outsiders will take notice of that. They'll say, what is going on there? Those people are amazing. They're not perfect. But there's something about them. That's the possibility for us. It's a possibility for any church. If we take this truly to heart and live it out. So, so please, as I began, don't stop seeking more. Science is on our side. But the more that we seek is to please God. And let's just see what he does with that. And my friends, you will not find happiness or satisfaction outside of pleasing God more and more. You just won't. And I won't either, okay? So for this week, may I ask you to identify what is the more that you can do and make a plan to do it? What is it that you're not doing that maybe you had good intentions of doing that you can do, make a plan and start doing it, okay? Secondly is we have a Sexual Integrity 101 uh, class coming up in, uh, in February. 
And this is for all people, men, women. This is for uh, moms and dads. This is to help you understand and, and for your own self, but also how you might be able to help others understand really what the biblical sex sex ethic is and how important it is to a God-honoring, God-pleasing life. Okay, so consider taking that class. And then lastly is sign up to be on a service team. Get connected on a service team. Show some brotherly love or sisterly love. Okay, that's the challenge. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for your love for us. God, thank you that you have wired in us as your, as image bearers that there is always more of you out there. There is always more to be known about you. There's always more, Lord God, in ways that we can please you. And Father, that's exciting that we, we just don't get stuck. We never arrive. And I thank you for that. I thank you for the excitement that comes with that, the challenge that comes with that. And I pray that we all in here will embrace that for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.